Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Jersey Justice. Today, we are here with Jerry and we're here with Lazaro Berenger. We're going to be talking about why did he decide to become a personal injury lawyer? Because we always like to know the story and the why behind why people get up and they do what they do every day. So welcome to the show. So hi, Dimple. My, my name is Lazaro Berenger. I'm one of a number of personal injury attorneys here at the Clark Law Firm. As you very well may know, we specialize in personal injury cases and in all kinds of accident cases. Wonderful. And now, you know, I do have to ask you the question of the day, which is, when was it that you decided to become a lawyer? And then, you know, tell us a little bit of that backstory of that why. And also, how did you pick the type of practice area that you were going to go into? Well, it's a funny story. I went into college thinking that I was wanting to go to medical school. I took, I remember, Biology 101, and that final exam was about 30, 40 pages thick. And I said, no, this is it. So then I just started taking classes in the pre-law area, classes that ended up interesting me. And eventually I decided, yes, this is something that I want to pursue. Very passionate about these classes. I was doing very well in them. So that's how I decided to go into law school. I'm going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to, so you wanted to be a doctor. Am I hearing that right? You wanted to be a doctor, but instead you ended up becoming a lawyer feel like there's some in-between story that we're missing there. So like, how did you decide, how did that switch happen? It wasn't too, too abrupt. It was just, I decided just to take some additional classes and I ended up liking them. I ended up doing very well in them. And so I then in time, I decided, well, let me start looking into law school, into what it's about, what it's like. And, and that's how I, my, my interest grew, especially because I was doing very well in them. I enjoyed it. I had a number of internships as well that actually showed me what it is to be a lawyer in, in, you know, in different realms, in different areas. Tell us about like your, your family background. I mean, when people say to me, oh, you're a lawyer and you're youngest of 13 kids, there must be a lot of lawyers in your family. And I'm like, nope, I'm the only one. What's your backstory, your family story in terms of that? You know, was there encouragement from the family and, you know, that kind of thing? And, and how did that all wash? Definitely. I, I'm the only attorney in my family. You know, it's my sister and I. And it's funny because I wasn't one who initially liked to read a lot. But, you know, when you go to law school, when you obviously go to undergrad, you, you don't have a choice and you build a liking to it. My dad, he's from Cuba. He fled, he fled that, the Cuban dictatorship. My mom is from the Dominican Republic. They, they met here in this country. And then it just interested in me, especially the, the, the justice aspect behind it. It was, it was just very interesting to me. And that's what I initially found. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. And I think for you, it happened organically. And I love that it just, you know, you kind of fell into it. You took some classes, you really liked it. It's also quite interesting. You're, you're the only attorney in the family. Sometimes, you know, there's a family of doctors and everyone's a doctor. There's a family of lawyers and, and everyone's a lawyer. So I love that. Tell us, you know, tell us a little bit more about like yourself as a person, like you know, your background? Is there anything you did when you were in school or growing up that you wanted to share with us? Or maybe I think Jerry might want to dive into that. Sure. I, I can I can definitely go into that a little bit. So right after my, my undergrad work at Rutgers in, in New Brunswick, I, I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I decided to, to take a little bit of a break from the school. So I decided to, you know, to join the army. I was in the army. I was in the military. I was with a very popular division, 101st Airborne Division Air Assault, based out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. While there, we deployed to Iraq, to Tikrit, Iraq. And my passion for the law grew while, while I was there, especially based on what was going on in the government at, at the time in Iraq. The, the, but the most important thing to me has been my faith, my faith in, in God. That has been the, you know, the most important thing to me. My faith in the Lord started when I was in Iraq. I was going through a very, very dark time, very depressed, even suicidal. And then I, I had a, an encounter with God. And, and then that's when my relationship with, with the Lord uh, sparked. And even after that is when I really started to pursue God and, and, and my desire to be an attorney even grew. Because that's when I started realizing more and more about what really is the legal field and what we do to to help others. Laz, I got to I got to ask you about that. So I last summer I did a, a Navy SEAL swim. It's organized by Bill Brown, who's an attorney at McCarter and English, and he was a, a Navy SEAL. And it's like a three mile swim across the Hudson River. He likes to say the river's dangerous because of the currents. I like to say it's dangerous because it's incredibly dirty and nasty to swim in that. And it's a three mile swim and it's a two mile run. And then it's like a hundred pull-ups and 300 push-ups. And, you know, I'm kind of like a competitive person. So I'm like, Oh, I'm wondering how, you know, who wins this thing. And there's like, and I was talking to Bill. He's like, cause I did a couple practice swims with him last summer across the river, three miles from Jersey city to lower Manhattan. And, and I'm like, all right, who wins? He's like, well, no one wins. I'm like, well, what's this all about? And he's like, really? It's about getting better veterans together. Bill's big thing is if veterans don't look out for each other, no one's going to. So it's a way to get them together. And it is the reason we do, I forget exactly what it is, but it's, it's we do 22, I think it's 22 push-ups at each station or something, or 22 pull-ups at each station. And that's to honor the 22 veterans that take their lives every day on average. And so the reason they get the veterans together is to get guys together so they're staying in touch if they're going through difficult times. The person who gave the prayer at, before the event last summer, the swim on the Hudson started was Jim Purdy, I believe, a Navy SEAL who went through some tough times. So can you talk about that? Like, you know, for people that did not serve, such as myself, what is it that leads to that kind of thing? Is it the combat? Like, what is it? And, and what can you 
what can you recommend to others that might have gone through that? Because you're doing, you know, you're doing awesome. You know, you're very successful. You just had an awesome win in Essex County Court. So having come from so far from those dark times, what can you offer to others that might be going through that, that kind of thing? And, you know, how did you get through it? What can be offered to others is it's one thing, honestly, it's, it's hope. When, when you are in, in a place of combat, in a place of warfare, as humans, I don't think we're built for that. You know, you, you get all this training, but humanly speaking, there's only so much that you can handle. So come to a place of, of sadness. I mean, you're away from your family, away from home, constant living in fear. And the only thing that helped me was realizing that there is hope. In the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it describes that our hope, our hope in the times of trials and tribulations, our hope, our anchor in the storm is Jesus Christ. And I started to realize that not as, as I progressed I, and, and learned more about this hope. And, and, and that's, that's what helps. That's the only thing that really helps. That's the only thing that really heals and, and restores. I remember when I came back from Iraq, I was in a parking lot. Think of like a mall parking lot. And I was with my sister at the time. And I said to her, what? and there were cars all around this mall. And I said to her, this place is very quiet. And she looked at me. She didn't understand. But what she didn't understand was the, the life that I had been living for about a year in which there were rocket attacks. You know, we had a soldier that, that got killed in a rocket attack over there. And so it's something that's only understood, I think, by someone who's been there, but also it's understood by God himself, right? Because he's ever present and he fills us with hope in, in those difficult, in those difficult times and seasons in our lives, whether it's at war, or whether it's here, when things are not so, so great sometimes. So as, as a plaintiff's lawyer, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about fighting the insurance companies and how difficult it is and the challenges and how they always try to drown us in paper to get a, away from paying. How is your experience like kind of going through just such a tough time like that? And the things you talked about, how does that how does that incorporate into practicing law each day and, and keeping going and, and fighting for people? Like, how do you incorporate those concepts about hope and your faith? And, and the challenges that you went through fighting for the country. And, you know, I've thanked you. I remember when I first met you, I thought I thanked you for your service. And I, I you know, I hope it doesn't sound trite, but I got to thank you again publicly like this. But if you can talk about that. Definitely, definitely. As personal injury attorneys, as plaintiff's personal injury attorneys, we're fighting for, we're fighting in essence for the little guy. We're fighting for people who don't have a voice. You know, the Bible in Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who don't have a voice. And, and that's an opportunity that we get to, to do, to fight these big corporations. And many, many a times our clients are, are indigent. Our clients don't even speak the language many a times. And we have the honor. We have the privilege. Being an, an advocate for someone is a high calling. It is a calling from God. And so we, we get the opportunity to be able to be a blessing in someone's life. I remember we had this case, Jerry and I, we took it to trial. We had a very, very, very large verdict, Washington Munoz. And I remember when we were, I was at his office, I think on a weekend, just handing him his checks. And 
he was he was in tears. He was he was so happy. He was so overjoyed. Not just because we won a verdict for him, because we can lose lose it such as easily as well. But he was overjoyed because we fought for him. We were his voice. So that's something that's very important that I carry on a daily basis when you know when we see our clients. We have the opportunity to be someone's voice. I remember that trial when we you helped arrange when you helped to arrange to get Washington Munoz and it's it's all public information to get I think it was his daughter to testify from remote and I remember when she did and talked about when she talked about her dad and the changes in her dad since he fell I remember there was at least one juror was in it was in tears as well as I, as I remember how about your Spanish speaking skills you want to talk about that a little bit how that you know, how that's helpful to you as a lawyer and an advocate and, you know, understanding maybe a lot of the cultures that we that we come across, you know, representing, you know, a lot of immigrant workers and, and the people that we give the voice to. Absolutely. So Spanish was actually my first language. I was born and raised in this country, but at home we only spoke Spanish. So that alone, that's been a, a huge, a huge blessing because we have many clients who speak Spanish and, and other very similar languages like Portuguese. And, you know, they're able to find someone, an attorney. We have many foreign speaking staff who speak Portuguese, Spanish, and, and they're able to find someone who is able to speak their language and understand them. And, and not just understand what they're saying, but understand the, the culture what's behind that. So when they're able to find that, I think many a times they're able to trust, they're able to open up in a way that, you know, it's not always possible. So I think that they feel comfortable. So I think that having that Spanish language skill is definitely very helpful in being the voice for, for others. I have to say, I love that because, you know, there's a whole population out there, right, that they are, you know, working in America, and, and they may not know the English language that well. They they might not know how to communicate, right? So I think it's so important that you can represent them and be a voice for them because they they don't know how to do that for themselves. And even in cases, it's it's hard to defend yourself. That's why there's lawyers. So thank you for for what you do every day. And Jerry, what what else can you you know talk about in terms of you know the importance of being a voice for other people when they don't have their own voice? Well, I don't know. It'd be kind of anticlimactic if I were to start to talk about that, given the incredibly powerful, powerful story and really testimony that Laz, Lazaro, we call Laz, Laz a lot, just gave. But I would like to, him to talk a little bit about the trial he just had and about the result and, uh, and how it all went down and, and, if you could tell us about that, Laz, what the insurance company was offering to to settle before, and you know what the court arbitrator thought the case was worth, and what happened there. Yeah, definitely. So recently, last week, just had a trial, and this was a car crash. Our client was was traveling, and out of nowhere, a defendant on Route 22, she shot across two lanes of traffic trying to hit an exit on the left lane and she ran right in front of our client. He had no time and he just crashed into her. And, and he was a young guy. He was, at the time he was in his thirties 
but this drastically changed his life. This one incident drastically changed his life. He had low back pain, and he was a husband and a father of two young sons, a three-year-old and a six-year-old at the time of the crash. Because of his lower back injury, he had to miss out on a good amount of their life, a good amount of their upbringing. He had to, he used to bathe his little sons. And on the witness stand, I remember his wife testified and she said that he was a very active father. As soon as he came home from work, he was taking care of his sons, running, jumping around with them, giving them baths. And after that crash, he wasn't the same. He wasn't the same father. He wasn't the same husband. In fact, he, he wasn't able to even bathe his own sons because he wasn't able to bend down because of the, his lower back injury. So it was at first the insurance, the arbitrator found the case to be worth in the area of $33,000, $35,000. That's what he gauged it at. Right before trial, defendants offered about $50,000. And that wasn't even anywhere close to help in any way the client. So we went ahead and we fought for him. We were his voice. We fought for him. We took it all the way to trial, to verdict, and we had a good verdict. And I think what helped was some of the witnesses, right? We wanted to present a case that showed how this crash impacted and changed his life. His wife took the witness stand. His work supervisor took the the stand as well, remotely through Zoom. And she was very, I think they, they were able to present in a very, in a very solid way, which portrayed how this crash had changed his life. So Laz, we, we, we did some podcasts. We did one recently about experts and we were talking about the defense medical experts and we, we don't name any names or anything, but what did the experts say? What did the expert hired by the insurance company say about your client and how did you deal with that to win the trial? And by the way, what, what was the total recovery? Well, the, the total verdict when you add everything up was in the, about 90,000 plus, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, cool. So t- yeah, how'd you deal with it? What did the defense expert say and how'd you deal with it? So the defense expert was saying that our young 30, 33, 34-year-old client at the time of the crash wasn't injured. There was nothing wrong with his back. And in essence, he was just faking and exaggerating. So we were able to cross-examine him, not just on the medical, which I believe strongly showed that he was wrong, but we were able to cross-examine him and as far as his history, right? That he had a history of earning millions of dollars representing these insurance companies. And I think the jury got it. I think they understood that this guy was just, you know, in it for the money, right? And I think what really helped was the what we call non-party fact witnesses, which is those other people that know the life of the injured victim, right? They were able to tell a story. And I think the jury was able to understand that he wasn't faking, he wasn't exaggerating. And when they looked at all the medical records, when they looked at all of that and really heard the story and saw the evidence, I think they were able to come to the, the right conclusion, which was he was actually injured. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you both for being here today. And we will see everyone on the next episode. Thanks, Temple. Thank you. you. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. 
If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light, we're just a phone call away. Call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.